0: Good morning, if you are visiting, my name is Dave Barry, I'm the senior pastor here, very glad that you've joined us this morning, and to my church family, it's always a, a privilege and joy to see your faces, if you would, open your Bibles, join me in John chapter 13, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one into your hands, and please feel free to keep it. No shame in not having one. Just raise your hand high. We'll get one to you eventually. Feel free to keep it. Feel free to leave it on your seat when you leave, but love to have a Bible in your lap and join me in John 13. Now, while you're turning to John 13, I do need to draw your attention to two more announcements. One's a new one. One's a reiteration. So here's a new one. So college students, listen. Today, after second service, there is a barbecue for you and for our young adult ministry out on our back lawn through the doors. And so um, maybe get some coffee after this service and come on back and get to know people like Christian Cunningham. See him right there? That's him. You, can, can you stand up so you're not embarrassed? <laughs> Do you see how tall he is? Thank you. So, so when you come back and you go to the lawn, look for his, the, his tallness, and you can go and... Ask him for free burgers. And about Jesus. The second announcement Jeff mentioned, so this Wednesday, our Wednesday night fall seminar is starting back up, and the class is entitled "Amago Christi: a Biblical Theological Anthropology." So that's a fancy way of saying that we're going to open our Bibles in contrast to our newspapers, in contrast to social media, and in contrast to the secular seminary, and ask the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be gendered? What is, what is family and marriage? What are children? What is ethnicity and more? Human sexuality and more. We wanna open our Bibles and look to see what God's word tells us about those things, And that's a biblical anthropology. And so if you're looking for some controversial topics, come on out on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you you there. I'm looking forward to our time. There are riches to be mined in God's word from his gospel that will enrich our souls. Well, with that, we are in John 13. We were in this chapter last week, a second pass this week, a long text. It's actually the entire chapter. And if you're taking notes, as we move through the Gospel of John, the title of the message this morning is this. The Gospel comes with a slave's towel for all to see. The Gospel comes with a slave's towel for all to see. Now, I sadly don't have time to read the whole text, though that we will go through the text as the sermon unfolds. But to begin with putting God's Word in front of us, Look with me at verses 12 to 17. I'm going to read these, pray, and then we'll look to the Lord in his word. Beginning in verse 12. When he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, Jesus said to the disciples, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If you do them. Well, this is the beginning of God's word this morning. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father, you have sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to become incarnate, to live, die, and rise in our place. And here, Lord, you show us these amazing, humbling truths of Jesus. And who he is and what he has done for us and more. And so we pray this morning that by your spirit, you would give us the mind of Christ. You would give us the heart of Christ. You'd give us the hands of Christ. So that we would live, move, and have our being in your son in this world. For your glory, our joy, and others good. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, all of God's people said, Amen. I like Jesus, but I don't like his church. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. To be clear, I left before. I have. I, just to be clear, I love the church and I love Christians. <laughs> Those were rhetorical statements. I have heard it and you have heard it too. And talking with unbelieving friends and family and coworkers and more over the years, it's not uncommon. Now, in my experience, usually when someone says, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, that's actually a distracting smokescreen to derail the conversation from calling them to the grace of the gospel, and to repentance in Jesus. And yet, we would be lying if there was not evidence out there to give someone cause to say something like that. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. It is true that Christians do have the capacity to be terrible. And that our lives and our words preach and reveal a false gospel, one that doesn't represent the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And so for that reality to linger in the air out there, what is it that Jesus wants out of the witness of his church? What does he want from us? Well, that's what John 13 is about. Jesus has just closed his three-year public ministry with the triumphal entry Back in chapter 12, now in chapter 13, it's the Passover feast. Jesus and the disciples are seated at the table. The text slows down from three years to about three hours. And we now enter this famous section of Scripture called the Farewell or Upper Room Discourse. Where Jesus is now moving from his public ministry to private ministry. And Jesus instructs his disciples with his final words. Before he steps out into the dark night into betrayal and illegal trial and mocking and shame and crucifixion and burial and to glorious resurrection. But Jesus' aim here in John 13 is that we would reveal our discipleship to him by displaying his hands through service and displaying Jesus' heart Through love. That's the aim in John 13. But like the disciples, just like the disciples, what we're going to see in this famous foot washing scene, just like the disciples, our pride wants to be served rather than to serve, to make much of ourselves than to make much of others, to be master rather than slave. We can be quick to judge quick to assume the worst, quick to hold a grudge, and thereby work against what Jesus calls us to in this passage. When people say, I love Jesus, or rather, I like Jesus, but not Christians or the church, it's this passage in particular that explodes the notion, or at least attempts by God's grace to remove any opportunity for non-Christians to say something about us like that Jesus wants us to display to the world the truth of the gospel and we display the truth of the gospel in John 13 by faithfully imitating Jesus his hands and his heart Jesus wants to show us today that the gospel comes with a slave's towel and we should put it on and how we do that. How the gospel comes with a towel, and how we put it on is revealed in John 13. So today I want to highlight two key traits that Jesus gives in John 13 that display what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Two key traits that Jesus gives that displays what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So our outline comes in two parts. Here they are. Point number one. Since Jesus is your master, to live as his disciple, you must display his hands. It's the first 18 verses. Since Jesus is your master, to live as his disciple, you must display his hands. And secondly, since Jesus has given you a new commandment to live as his disciple, you must display his heart. And that's verses 19 to 38. Well, let's jump right into point number one. Since Jesus is your master, to live as his disciple, you must display his hands. Let's pick up in verse 4 to gain more context and move through to verse 11, pause and talk about what we see in the word, and we'll walk through the text in that pattern. Verse 4 tells us, Jesus, "'Rose from supper. "'He laid aside his outer garments "'and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. "'Then he poured water into a basin, "'and Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet "'and to wipe them with the towel "'that was wrapped around him. "'He came to Simon Peter,' verse 6, "'who said to him, "'Lord, do you, do you wash my feet?' And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And so Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my, my hands and my head. And then Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. These men sitting at this table in this room, they, they first heard way back in the beginning They heard John the Baptist say of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They have seen Jesus turn water to wine, confound the religious leaders time and again. They've they've observed Jesus heal the lame, heal the sick, heal the blind. Feed 5,000. Walk on water and calm the storm. They've heard Jesus claim to be nothing less than the great I am of the burning bush now made flesh. One with the father himself for which the Jews sought to stone him and kill him. And these very men have seen Jesus with mere words reach into the grave and raise Lazarus from the grave after four days dead. And now, they see Jesus fill a wash basin. Dress himself as the lowliest of slaves. Stoop down before each of these men and wash their sandaled feet. One by one, he washes their feet. Even Judas the devilish betrayer. We thought about this last week, but again, I can only wonder what was the expression on each disciple's face as Jesus moved from one man to the next. Mouths open, perhaps, shocked. Did did Judas mask his impending satanic betrayal lurking in his heart? Did he maybe have a a, a fake smile on his face? Did Judas think that he deserved Jesus to wash his feet? Or what about Peter? I wonder if Peter looked shocked when he said back in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? You see, these are the same men who Luke tells us back in chapter 22, that these same group of guys were arguing among themselves who was the greatest among them. Without any shame or hesitation, they got into a dispute. No, actually, I'm better than you. You're beneath me, and I'm better than you. No, no, I'm actually better than you. These guys legitimately had an argument about who was the greatest among them, and then these men are now looking upon, with that argument maybe, reverberating in their minds, their humble Lord God and King who is greatest of them all. Peter's protest then leads to a teaching moment, perhaps as his and the other man's hearts begin to melt, Peter's protest, no, Lord, don't wash me, then wash all of me. His protest leads to a teaching moment from Jesus where there's more than meets the eye going on in this foot-washing episode. In verse 7 again, Jesus said to them, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And then so in verse 8, what does Peter say to him? You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter Goes from one extreme to the next and says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus clarifies in verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. You see, Peter tells them outright, Peter, or rather Jesus tells them outright, that Peter and the disciples do not understand the symbolism of the foot washing. And moving from one extreme to the next, don't wash my feet, wash all of me. Perhaps you can relate to Peter's extreme views moving back and forth. Verse 8 makes clear that Jesus must do the washing. Again, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Then the teaching moment turns to the reality of bathing. So Jesus is is explaining to Peter why he doesn't need what Peter is requesting in which he declares at the verse 10 and the verse 10 you are clean but not every one of you so this interchange takes place between Peter and Jesus on display for all the disciples to listen two things are happening at once number 1 Jesus in keeping with Philippians 2 is taking the form of a slave he is washing their dirty feet as was custom back in that day which is going to lead to his teaching in verse 12. And yet verse two, or rather and two the second thing that's happening here is that the foot washing of Jesus based on this strange interchange between him and Jesus, him and Peter, this foot washing also points beyond itself to the cross which washes away their sins. Remember, Not many hours from this point, Jesus will be hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. Not many hours from this point, he will be betrayed in the garden, he will be illegally tried, and more. And so this cleansing, the disciples will understand after the resurrection. In fact, it's the Apostle John, the same author here in the Gospel of John, in 1 John I believe, reflects on this moment. And he tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Listen to this, I think, commentary on what Jesus is doing in John 13. The apostle John says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and here it is, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and again to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. I think 1 John chapter 1 is a commentary on John 13. And the conversation that John listened to between Jesus and Peter, in Peter's protests and his extremes, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, Jesus has taken the form of a slave and washes their feet, and he's going to explain more in a moment. But that's why he says to them, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but you will later. Jesus here is revealing that in the washing of their feet and how they're clean, to be clean then is to agree with God that you are a sinner in need of being cleansed. That you are a sinner in need of being saved from God's wrath. To be clean and washed is to confess your sins to God so that by faith in Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you, that Jesus' blood would wash away your sin and bring you into God's forever family. This portrait of Christ washing the disciples' feet points forward to a few hours from our text of Jesus hanging on the cross and his blood washing away our sins by faith. But that's not all. Not only is this a gospel invitation prefiguring the cross, Jesus has more teaching to do. This, This gospel moment of faith, believing what Jesus will do, is also a moment of gospel action. What do I mean? Well, these two things going on, if you look down at verse 12, we pick up our text, and it continues, when Jesus had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? I think this is funny, because he just told them, you're not going to understand what I'm doing to you. And I think that they do this, yes, no. I think that's what they did because that's what I would do. Do you understand what I have done to you? And he explains, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. But here it comes, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to, to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What we discover here, to be a Christian, is to live a life that displays Christ-likeness as if we were his very hands. And did you notice the condition in verse 14? If I then, you also ought. You see, Jesus is teaching that our faith works. After we're saved, we begin to live a life that embodies, as it were, the hands of Christ. To be a Christian is to live a life that displays Christ's likeness as if we were his very hands. And so Jesus gives a moral imperative to you and me and to all who claim to be a follower and disciple of Jesus. If I then did this, then you ought to also. That's why I said earlier the gospel comes with a slave's towel. And you're supposed to put it on. There is no follower of Jesus who is exempt from what Jesus teaches in this passage. The gospel comes with sleeves rolled up and hands ready to get dirty and to work because we show our faith by our works, as James 2.18 tells us. And the amazing connection that Jesus gives is in verse 17, he says, if you know these things. Blessed are you, and here's the conditional statement, if you do them. So there's a blessing and there's a condition in verse 17. He's, if I am your Lord and Master and if I have taken off my outer garment, put on a towel and washed your feet, then you ought to do likewise. And then he says, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a condition to the blessing. The blessing is, if you do them, time and again, I have seen this truth put into practice in the church. When a believer steps out and begins to share their love for Jesus and share the gospel of Jesus with unbelieving friends and family, when a believer steps out, and what maybe even on the surface seems like the smallest of tasks, and yet when a believer steps out and begins to focus on others and live an other-oriented life because the gospel compels them to do so, because they're imitating Jesus and his foot washing. When they move out of themselves and to others, they grow spiritually in their love for Jesus, their love for his church, their love for Jesus' gospel, their love for the lost, and more. It's true time and again, because these saints have the attitude of Jesus. Jesus saved me. Jesus loves me, I love his church, what can I do to help? The gospel comes with a slave's towel. Jesus expects us, he expects you to imitate him. You know, this, this also happened to me, and I think it's happened to many of you. When I've heard your testimonies, that, that you, you, you heard the gospel and you repented of your sins and you came to Jesus and you loved him, and then, when you moved out of yourself and, and to others to love the church and serve the church and serve your family and, and friends and more, that you began to grow spiritually in ways that were just unexpected. It happened to me, saved in college at 21, sitting at church the whole school year. And then, right in June, right before school was out, they gave an, um, an opportunity to come and serve. And so I did. I got to hand out bulletins and greet people at the front door and take out the trash. And it was the coolest thing I ever got to do. I got to be a part of this thing called church I didn't know I could. I thought it was for super special people. My first day of my first summer pastoral internship, the senior pastor put his arm on my shoulder and he said, go clean the bathroom and scrub the toilets. I didn't enjoy that as much as handing out bulletins, but... There is something in moving out of yourself to and for others where verse 17 actually proves true. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the opposite would be you are not blessed if you don't do them. And what's the them he's referring to? The foot washing. Right? That's the context. Is don't lose sight of what he is saying. You see, Jesus' command is tied to his blessing in your life. If I, then you ought. If you know, blessed are you if you do. So the, here then is the question. Here's the question that Jesus, by his Spirit, is asking from the text. Is Jesus describing You Have you accepted the slave's towel that Jesus hands you in the gospel? Is there any task that is beneath you? Is there a task beneath you in your home life? Is there a task beneath you in your church life? Is there anything that you are too important for? that other people should take care of? Do you serve in the church so you have a veneer of looking like you have a towel on, but really in your heart, you serve on your own terms and you are unwelcoming or even irritated by feedback, guidance, or instruction? If any of that describes you, friend... You don't have the towel on that the gospel gives you. You see, the promised blessing is also not for past service. I served for a strong decade back in my 30s. So I'm just going to go ahead and coast on that past service and write out Jesus' blessing in my life. Nope. This is not about past service nor is it for intentions of promised blessing for future service, if you might get to it. This is present tense. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them now in an ongoing way. And so this this penetrating picture with, I'm sure, the disciples having just hushed breathing and wide eyes listening to Jesus and, and attuned ears to hearing what he is saying like us we we well are are you known by your friends? Are you known by your family? Are you known by your church as someone who helps them understand what Jesus is like by the things that you do for them? Does your spouse or children or or grandchildren or friends or coworkers, or classmates when people are around you long enough do they get a better sense of what our humble king jesus is like based on how you interact with them and tangibly love them through foot washing like service by your christ-like servant's heart do they see jesus more You see, I love how Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. Do you know why I love that? Because I need to hear that, and and we all need to hear that. Why? Because we have a tendency, because of remaining sin, to elevate ourselves above certain tasks, and certain things, and certain people, or certain opportunities that we're not gifted in. We have a tendency to exempt ourselves from the needs Jesus presents right before our eyes. If there was one person on the entire face of the entire earth who could say, I am," I should not be the one washing your feet, it would be Jesus. And yet I suspect that this man, truly God, truly man, God in the flesh, the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah and Savior, it was his joy to do this. That, that's what our God is like. It was his joy... For God the Father to send God the Son and the power of God the Spirit on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost, to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and more. It was Jesus' joy to show himself for who he is, the humble king. Listen, it's, it's very possible Based on what Jesus says in verse 17, the connection of blessing, it is very possible that you currently have a cold love for Christ and a cold love for his bride because you show up in all areas of your life to be served rather than to serve. It's very possible your marriage and family are not as blessed as they could be because you expect them to serve you rather than you serve them. It may be that the richness of your friendships may be blunted because you're in it more for what you get from the friendship than what you can give to the friendship. But as Acts 20.35 says, it's more blessed to give than receive. But friends, what a joy in this church. What a joy in this church that there are so many saints who do display this toweled gospel. For us to be here in this moment, maybe you're coming and visiting, or maybe you're just checking out FCF, you're investigating the claims of Jesus. For you to come and sit in this moment, the number of people behind the scenes silently, faithfully, lovingly exhibiting and displaying the hands of Jesus and their actions to get us to be able to do this in this moment is, is staggering. The number of hours and more that go into this of what is, takes place in this church. Church, we are a church who in many ways, in so many ways, depict a toweled gospel. And for that, I say praise Jesus. You can open up the membership directory and just begin to scroll through the pages and see... And know where people serve and and what they do. So much takes place. Praise God. And I want to single out a uniquely unique group who lives under low-grade guilt because they don't do enough. Moms. Mothers, you need to know that Jesus is pleased with your service. You need to believe that. You need to know that Jesus is is pleased with your desire to do other things in the life of our church family, but you simply can't because you're raising your children to love Jesus and guard the gospel, praise the Lord for that. Moms, rest in the grace of Jesus that he has for you. And know that he is more than enough for you. And for all of us, friends, seasons of life do impact how and when we serve, but they don't accept us from the call to serve. And so what Jesus does here, since Jesus is our Lord and Master, you must display His hands in order to be His disciple. You see the circular reasoning there? Jesus, since He's your Master, To live as disciple, you must display his hands. But more than that, point number two, since Jesus has given you a new commandment, to live as as his disciple, you must display his heart. Hands and heart. Look at verse 18. I'm going to read a long section here. 18 down to 35. I'm not speaking of all of you, Jesus says. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. In verse 28, now no one at the table knew why Jesus had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him uh, buy what we need for the feast or that he should go give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was Night. When he had gone out, Jesus, verse 31, said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. And here we get to the final two verses. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I read this long text because so often what Jesus says about imitating him and washing feet and the new commandment to love one another are separated as if they were different events. This is the same. It's two sides of of one coin. What does it mean to love one another as Jesus has loved us? It's to do what Jesus did just a second ago by washing their feet. What makes... Jesus' loving humility and service to the disciples so profound is how infiltrated this long text is with betrayal. Did you hear it? We heard about Judas. We heard about Satan. Judas, of course, filled with Satan, sells out Jesus for a few small coins a few short hours from now. But it's not just Judas who's a betrayer. Do you see who the other one is? Our good friend Peter. If you look down at verses 36 and following, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow, Until you have denied me three times. You see, unlike Judas, where Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons, saw all of Christ's signs, but never believed, we have Peter who did believe, but Peter was a clumsy believer, like you and me. Fear of man, self protection, perhaps even doubt, will lead him, Jesus prophesies, to deny Peter or rather to Peter deny Jesus at dawn. And yet here is Jesus, knowing Satan's going to enter Judas, knowing that Peter's going to betray him through denial at dawn, here is Jesus washing all of these men's feet. Why? Because that is what God in the flesh is like. You see, the first point called us to display Jesus' hands in our service to each other. The, the toweled waste of the gospel. But here, now Jesus is calling us to display his heart, his attitude, an ethic, a kingdom ethic, his heart for one another. Again, verses 34 and 35 a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, condition, you have love for one another. So this commandment, of course, is in keeping with the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Loving your neighbor as yourself. What makes verse 34 new is that our love for God and neighbor is now modeled and motivated by Jesus Himself. The standard for our love for one another is nothing less than how Christ has loved us and laid down His life for us, both in the washing of the disciples' feet and laying down His life on the cross for our sins. The standard of love that we are to love one another with is to the point of laying down our lives so that others could have life. Jesus' actions of washing the feet display his inner attitude of love for his chosen ones. He was not a reluctant foot washer. Jesus is not a reluctant savior. The cross was not something he was reluctant to go to. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He is not a reluctant God. And so when so, it would be a mistake to think that Jesus was doing an outward action with an inward attitude that contradicted each other. No, what Jesus did on the outside with his hands was flowing from his heart. Hands and heart, actions and attitude. Another way to think about love, I want you to think about attitude. Ad- attitude is a. So, here's the definition of attitude attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone. Attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone typically reflected in that person's behavior. And so for Jesus, his heart or his attitude displayed the loyal, steadfast covenant love that we looked at last week. The actions of Jesus' his hands were motivated by the attitude of Jesus's. Heart, true biblical love is an acting love. Again, the same author gives us more commentary in 1 John chapter three. Listen to 1 John chapter three, verses 14 to 18. About heart, attitude. We know that we have passed out of death And into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives For the brothers. That verse 16 in 1 John 3 is a summary statement. It's a tweet of John 13. By this we know, love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What a beautiful commentary from 1 John on the gospel of John. Jesus' gospel of grace is both motive and model. The gospel of having all of my sins cleansed By the blood of Christ flowing from the cross, repented and renouncing of my sins and turning to Jesus and following him, that puts a new motivation of gospel love in my heart that is now modeled by Jesus and my life now lives different. What Jesus has done for me in life and death is meant to form and inform how I live my life in Christ for you and you for me and we for each other. It's these verses that when they are moved into our bones and come out in our speech, and our actions, undo what I said at the beginning. I, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. What Jesus has done in forgiving me, I have to remember, he has also done in forgiving you. What Jesus has done in loving me, he has also done in loving you. And that love of Christ is meant to move us out of ourselves and towards others, a brotherly gospel love that has a towel around its waist. Motive matters. So you could do all the foot washing type stuff with the unloving heart, and that undoes the goodness of what you're doing in the foot washing, as it were, in the service. Motive matters. And did you notice Our brotherly love for one another is evangelistic. Did you catch that in verse 35? Look again at verse 35. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. All people means that a lost and dying world should see our love for one another in such a tangible way that they unmistakably know we belong to Jesus. Those are Jesus' people. But here, for Jesus, in John 13, it's about what we do flowing out of our hearts, how we act. So his disciples must act in a certain way. If you have love for one another, then all people will know you're my disciples, to say the passage in reverse. And while this encompasses all of life, the logic of the rest of the New Testament teaches, makes clear that. Our life together as a church family, with all of our differences, is exhibit A for displaying the love of Christ to the world. So to sum this up, Jesus locates the visible proof of your discipleship to him in your visible love for the body of Christ. Let me say that again. Jesus locates the visible proof of your discipleship to him in your visible love for the body of Christ. So then, scriptures bring another question before us. Thinking about him washing the disciples' feet and telling us that we ought to do the same. Our displayed love for one another displays the gospel even for a lost and dying world to see. The scripture then brings another question before us. Is there anyone's feet in this church you are unwilling to wash, literally or figuratively? Maybe friends, maybe family life, extended family life. Is there anyone's feet in this church you'd be unwilling to wash, literally or figuratively? about this love that we're to have for one another, the question is, do you harbor a private grudge against someone in your life? Harbor it. does, Does the grudge find safe haven in your soul? Do you nurse offenses in how someone spoke to you, treated you? Are there people that you think that you are above and better than? Do you think that you're above washing anyone's feet? Are you easily offended and bail quickly on relationships and churches? If you're okay with things like that, then friend, you are in grave danger of not having the love of Christ in you and ending up like Judas rather than Peter. There is a very sober warning that Christ gives to us in modeling in all of those conditional clauses. If I am Lord, then you ought. If you do, blessed are you. To be a Christian, To be a Christian is to display the heart of Christ and the hands of Christ in tangible ways that our motives affect our methods, and they form and inform what we do. Hands and heart go together inseparable. To be a Christian, Jesus says in John 13, is to display the heart and hands of Christ in tangible ways, not just word, but also in deed, because the the gospel comes with a toweled waist, and a heart full of the gospel, eager to, to show the same forgiveness that Christ has given, the same love that Christ has given me to you, and vice versa. And as I said earlier, Jesus is not just our model, he's our motivation. And maybe I, I, I ask these questions derived from the text and you recognize that I, I do harbor a private grudge. I, I am unforgiving. I I am I am... Um, maintaining a feud with people in my family. I, I do think there's people that I'm better than, and, and, and I don't need to wear a towel. Friend, you need to be reminded of the gospel of who he is, who our triune God is. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, condescended to us, Creator entering his creation to rescue us from his wrath and our deadly sin. Jesus has done everything not just to make us right with God, but to cl- cleanse us from all of those sins, so that God would now declare us with a smile on his face, not guilty as the gavel drops. Cleaned and washed white. And if the person that you're harboring a grudge against is a believer, Jesus has done that for them. And the logic of the Bible is if Christ has forgiven you, but you don't forgive those whom Christ has forgiven, then are you really forgiven? God the Son, remember the gospel. He came down. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he loved each one of us when we were all unlovable. Jesus has forgiven us, each one of us, by faith when it would seem that we were unforgivable. Jesus did all in our place, suffered and died so that we could have life eternal. Jesus rose For our justification, and Jesus has adopted us. God has adopted us through the Son into His family to world without end. He will not let you go. God is love, 1 John tells us. And that's what He did for the people in this room, the people sitting next to you, the faces that you see here. He has done for us, and He has done for you, and He has placed His love on others. And his love for others in your heart so that you might display Jesus' love for them in real ways. That's why I said in the beginning, do people get a greater picture of who Christ is by how you serve them? A working love provides evidence that the gospel is in fact true. Church, since Jesus is your master, you must display his hands to live as his disciple and since jesus has given you a new commandment you must display his heart to live as his disciple why because jesus did it first for us and he is worthy of it amen father we thank you for the gift of your son we thank you for the power of your spirit who works with the power of your word to change our hearts oh lord Would you let this be true of each and every one of us, that we, each and every one of us, believe your gospel and rejoice that the gospel comes with a job description of being an imitator and slave of you, Lord Jesus. Would you let us as a family excel at loving each other well so that a lost and dying world would see the new humanity in Christ, living out the kingdom ethic In our love and service to one another, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.